1: Those individuals that don't wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. An
0: award-winning social entrepreneur, a founder, and a CEO, 17 years of background in social work, and business, if we're going to think about the notion of a life of purpose, and we're going to think about the purpose of a school for the future, Louise Nobbs, the founder of 42 Australia, she's just the bomb. She's the one we
1: need to be talking to today. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor?
0: EDAPT Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. EDAPT is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapt.education forward slash gamechangers. That's edapt.education forward slash gamechangers.
1: Let's go. Phil, I'm super excited to be with you again today uh, in Series 8. I can't believe we're still in Series, series 8. This is just phenomenal. Wow. Wow. And, and of course, with the amazing Louise from 42 Adelaide. Before we get to Louise, how are you going today? Well, look, thank you for asking, Adriano.
0: The sun is out. Yes. In the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy.
1: That's very um, nice.
0: The, the, the takeaway cocktails in open containers have all been banned because somebody discovered that we were having too mm. much fun. Um, but all things considered, you know, we're just moving along just peachy, mate. How are well, things in I, I,
1: sunshine? Well, it's great because I, I, I actually just hopped onto um, uh, Provador and ordered myself a nice um, chocolate Negroni to be arrived tomorrow for virtual drinks because I can't go anywhere. So I might as well enjoy the delights of... Uh, Uh, Shane D'Elia's great platform in in Provador. Little shout out to him and and the boys. That's Dean D'Elia's brother, by the way. Dean D'Elia, a a
0: former game changer. So, Louise, the pressure's on you now to
1: deliver chocolate (laughs) Negronis to all of us. Anyway, enough of this silly nonsense. Let's get to our guest for Series 8 of the Game Changers. Louise, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is tell us about your story today. How have you gotten to where you are today?
2: Oh, well, thank you. It's so wonderful to be on the Game Changers Series 8. With that introduction, um, Phil, I kind of feel sometimes is a life of purpose is something that has just made sense to me. It wasn't something at all that I went looking for. But now um, phenomenally having 42 Adelaide or 42 Australia opened in Adelaide has really been able to showcase what, my life has meant for me. A long time ago, after being a very naughty teenager, I set my and restructured my career to become a social worker and uh, for many years worked with so many amazing, amazing people and communities. And that just set me on a course to to really just focus on the most complex issues in life. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to create my own company and do that, kick innovation. which has been now around for six years, um, that was really my own opportunity to say there are great things that can happen to everyone and great minds are everywhere. So how about we just keep pursuing greatness and all those that are disadvantaged or feel displaced in our um, community actually have a sense of purpose to keep driving forward.
1: So I'm going to get you to um, explain to our audience in a moment around... 42 and what it means because there'll be many of our listeners who would not be familiar with the concept of 42, not even realise how many countries in the world have uh, now established a 42 concept uh, as a place of um, future-focused learning. But I just want to touch upon something that you've just shared then. There was a moment, obviously, through a teen transition of um, choices that one made into the world of social work where obviously you made a conscious decision that you're going to help people like yourself um, work and navigate their, their way through through life and living. When did that moment happen for Louise? When was, that, when was that aha moment where you realized that you actually have something to say, you actually have something to contribute and you want to do it with young people?
2: Wow, that is such a, I don't know if I've actually ever reflected that far back sometimes, but I was a bit of a rascal teenager and I think my parents at times just wanted me to stay alive um, and didn't do well at school, failed essentially and went out into a very traditional career pathway for those that do what I do in hospitality. And it was actually during some very, very personal occurrences that happened in that time that I realised and I got to see firsthand mothers begging for food at the back of cafes and wanting to try and feed their children, a lot of violence in the in the street corners, um, and lots of vulnerable people. And it was at a moment of my life that I went, this. I feel like I can um, have purpose there, and I really want to work in a community that thinks above just yourself, and, and really acts for the best of community. So that actually took me back to going to do year 12 again. And then becoming a social worker. So I really, that was the most pivotal part of one part of my life. And then I just naturally fell into um, social work jobs that really focused on young people and young people coming out of trauma and really supporting them to be the the best of themselves. So, So that was really the start of, I think, a collection of things that happened over many, many years to why when I found 42, this really connected with my soul. It actually took a part of my heart when I first saw it. And I was hell-bent on getting it here to Australia.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that, that personal journey and story. It's really important for, for our listeners to, to continue to find opportunities to connect with our game changers about those moments of discovery, you know, uh through often often through moments of real challenge. Uh, but what's really in- Interesting in what you're sharing with us is that you saw opportunity, and you saw opportunity that was about a human level opportunity of transformation, and that now leads me to 42. You know, you once stated that 42 is the altruism brought into reality. I love that. I love that, and that just that's so much in sync with what you've just shared with us because it it's it's ultimately about the other, and I'm getting that strong sense in this in these first few minutes of, of of our dialogue with you. Can you share with our listeners? about the current work as founder of 42 Australia. I'll stop there and then I'll have a follow-up. Go ahead.
2: Oh, Thank you so much. I think 42 definitely is altruism coming into reality. Through my whole career, I was always looking to demonstrate that great minds exist in people that people would not necessarily think. So um, I also wanted to say that Great minds can do great things, and it's the traditional education systems that stop all of that. So, when you find 42, so 42 for our listeners that don't know is a software engineering degree, essentially. So, it is finding anyone from any walks of life to come into 42 to learn to be a software engineer and then off to changing the world. Developers and coders will be on the forefront of changing the world going forward. So, when I found 42 in um, France, It really spoke to me. It spoke to me because it was a school that is open for everyone, 16 above for us in Australia, but across um, Europe, it's 18 above. So, first, I was like, currently, there is no software engineering schools that are open to everyone. You must go through a very um, strict discipline in your high school years, get a really good score, and then go into a university and spend lots and lots of money getting your education. So, First of all, fundamentally, that stripped away that barrier to entry. It also said, we don't care about where you come from. We also don't believe that teachers are the answer all the time. So this school has no teachers. It's all peer-to-peer. It's also gamified and open 24-7 because we shouldn't think that learning is traditional. You learn when you want to learn and you learn with your peers. So you can imagine me as a social worker believing that great minds are everywhere and I found a school that had already solved it but was punching above the traditional potential career pathways that we look for disadvantaged people. It was saying, no, you can be the best. You can be a software engineer. So finding that was really for me when I found it, it took my soul straight away.
1: So it's really interesting because you're sharing with our listeners and and Phil and I today how you have in many ways thrown out the rule book of what a school is right so what i'm hearing you talk about is it's a school for 16 plus young people uh, uh to engage is there is there an age ceiling there isn't is, is there no, no. Age ceiling. so, so it, it, it is really a school that is open to the possibility of everyone uh providing a 16 and above it's a school that's open 24-7. So it really taps into the personalised nature of each each individual's personal circumstance. They might have part-time jobs, they might have families, they might be raising children, you know, um, uh, they that might be doing a whole range of different things, volunteer work, and, they, and you allow them to fit this kind of learning paradigm into the kind of harmony of their life and uh, building into that. Okay. You also make some commentary there around the teacher. That's the controversial part, right? Because in many ways, uh, most of our listeners out there value teachers, as Phil and I do, because we are both educators and we, and we believe in the great strength of the character apprenticeship between a student and a teacher. That's not to say that that can't be achieved through peer and peer right? And that's what you're witnessing on a regular basis. And you're tapping into the expertise of the individuals and their lived experience to inform one another to grow. I kind of would argue that you actually have teachers on campus then, but maybe so, not in the formal sense, right?
2: I think you're absolutely right. And many, many students have sometimes rewritten some of my speeches to say, I know it's a, it is know it is one of those facts that 42 has no teachers, just, but that's to get the shock factor. But once you really look what's under the hood, actually every person that comes into 42 is a teacher in their own right. Exactly. They are receiving information and they're giving information. But also we have a school of um, really really great leaders in our um, team and our operation. So while they're not technically allowed to provide any answer to any question, um, they do do a lot of other things that facilitates well-being. Um, It facilitates that transference of hope and belief and confidence until they can gather it themselves. So I think teachers actually have a, a really critical role in our society. What we're actually saying is that you shouldn't walk alone in needing to provide all the expertise. That's actually unfair. That's putting way too much pressure on yourselves. How about we look at a model that disperses that and really provides power to everyone, not just from an authoritarian approach.
1: So there's this real strong self-determination piece that you're talking about here, where the student, the novice, actually then becomes part expert, part learning designer themselves. But as you've just illustrated, you flipped the system around the traditional teacher, and the teacher now has become more of a learning mentor, you know, that coach on the sidelines to to, to support them along every aspect of their kind of self-regulation, their organization, their, their kind of wellness side of things to keep them on track. And can I tell you, that's been the bread and butter of teachers, right? But of course but, it is. But, but we've never really amplified it in a way. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: my my final question to you before I hand it over to Phil is this. Knowing what you have now know in your experience with, with 42 in France and now bringing it to Adelaide in Australia, because it's a very kind of new entity here. Yeah. Uh, but you've got a great full cohort and, and I'm loving the posts on social media about the stories about the young people uh, that are coming through through your program. It's quite inspiring and it's props to you guys as a team. What then do you see as the purpose of a school of, for the future?
2: Well, I, I first need to say that 42 has lived up to more than what I had expected. I think first when you see something that is all bright and shiny and really promises to solve so many um, challenges It has to be believed or seen to be believed. I have now seen it and I believe more than ever that 42 is really going to be such, it's it's what everyone has been looking for. We've got the technology industry that is crying out for talent and if we look at the traditional ways, there's no way that is ever going to come through at a speed that is enough people, fast enough, versus we have a whole range of people in our society that feels that they can never aspire to something as big as being a software engineer. So now that we have 42 in the market, I can hand on my heart say that we are one solution to that. I think the other question that you asked was, what does that now mean? So for 42 and how are we going to move forward? I think it's just to really keep providing the confidence to anyone that comes in that they can do it. Um, believe in yourself and, you know, we're there to walk alongside you.
0: Louise, I've really been enjoying the conversation that you and Adriana have been having. I mean, it's it's, it's two expert educators coming from different places to converge in in the notion of a community of inquiry and practice. I particularly enjoyed hearing both talk about the, that, that sort of exchange between the novice and the expert that is character apprenticeship. That is the only pedagogy that really matters You know, everything else is just a is is just a sequence. But the key to that is about the transfer of agency. And we're, we're having this conversation in our country yet again at the moment about the primacy of direct instruction versus inquiry learning, as though those two things are binary opposites with each other, as opposed to an integrated whole. I'm interested in how you help folk at uh, 42 Australia to build a sense of who they are where they fit in how they can best serve others and whose they are in other words what, what their real vocation is but their the connection to people and place and planet how do you do that through an integrated whole rather than setting up little little false binaries or allowing people to indulge in a bit of the answer not the whole of learning that's an easy question. Starter for oh, two hundred.
2: I thought I, I thought I had the answer, and then you kept adding and adding, and I was like, "Hang on a minute."
0: Yeah, but you're 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 up to it though. You know your stuff. I
2: don't. Well, I think essentially learning is ongoing. We need to understand that when you come into forty two, you have to go through one of the most toughest boot camps currently in the globe. That's twenty eight days of you being, and say you come with no coding experience you've come from a really tough background and you've completely given up maybe hope on you being able to achieve what what you want in life. And so they imagine they walk in first day of 42 and they know they've got 28 days of coding. By the end of that day one, they've probably shed a few tears, felt completely overwhelmed, not at all sure that they can manage what the expectation is of 42. But what we say to them is look to the left and look to the right and talk to your peers. Because what you're holding in right now is what everyone else is holding. And once we see that shift, and by day two and day three, wow, what really opens up is their ability to just take on new concepts. I mean, they're learning C coding from the ground up. So these are some of the hardest things that we're asking, particularly sometimes some vulnerable people to do. But when you actually see that you've got 100 other people in that room going through exactly the same motion as you, and you're all starting at the same spot, that is exceptionally powerful and empowering. So what we find is that that agency of self and that belief of self starts really growing very quickly. As a social worker that's done a lot of work in um, coaching people and, and supporting people to believe in themselves, I've actually seen nothing like this before. In 28 days, not only are you getting an introduction into coding, but you're also finding out so much of yourself. So people that may have a whole range of barriers, have never spoken to more than maybe a few people in their life, has now felt to converse over code. So some of the most technically hard things to do and just build in their confidence, self-worth. It's actually just such a wonderful thing to see.
0: As we're thinking, therefore, about the way in which this experience works, and it is very much an immersive experiential piece. You know, you've started by grounding them and then they've got in, in that sense of who they are and where they're coming from and then you've got to equip them and then put them in a situation where they're experiencing the learning and, and, that, and that then necessarily changes who they are at the same time. So we've gone from character, edu- um, character apprenticeship to the experience of, of, of immersion which we would argue is probably the second most important thing to be thinking about when you're trying to put together this sort of learning environment this is very much about transformation of the self by engaging in the whole of learning how's that happen for you in your life because I I get I get the sense that you're not the person who sits down and says right what is my purpose write down my goals away we go etc 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 you live it don't you and then out of it comes this sense of why you do what you do so tell us some more about that please
2: Oh wow you've made a nice connection there and then we've got to go back into my soul again. So I think I'm a person that naturally has just taken risks in life and I think that's maybe because I've always thought that I am really an uneducated quite um not a sensible person. That's actually just driven to want to do the best for our society and community and over the years I've actually learned to do the same look to the left look to the right usually speak in very grandiose terms about you know, we all need to um, achieve justice and we should all be looking um, at these um, problems with a different lens. And what that's helped me do is just collect like-minded people, be challenged a lot. to so I have to think through the problem maybe in a lot more detail than I thought I was going to um, because just like the students at 42, we don't have the answers to everything when it's presented to us. what we have is this gut feel that we want to strive to do better and I think that's very much as what's happened in my life as well.
0: Okay you're doing very well on Game Changers Jeopardy so far I have another another question that that comes in and out of that and you know and thank you thank you for that considered response we're going to stay with your soul for the moment because that's (laughs) good out of this process of your life and out of their process thinking in and around this what do you believe allows you to be the best version of yourself at any given point in time? And who are the people, because I know you're going to end up talking about people around this because it's just inevitable, who are the people who help you to put these the pieces in place that allow you to be the best version of yourself and, and live out your own life of purpose?
2: Wow. You're really putting me through this. Um, thanks oh. for the pre-script. But uh, oh. I... <laughs>
0: It's way more, way, way more fun um, it, just it asking really the is. question and allowing you. To, I'm going to let you answer it. Then I'm going to explain why we do what we do and how we do it. Because we, we, I don't think we've ever explained that to our listeners before. So it might be good to do that.
2: Best version of myself is constantly evolving. And I actually don't know if we have, if those that feel that as soon as you think you've got all the tools to be the best version of yourself, you need to throw that out. Um, because then you're not embodying the sense of always learning. And growing so um that whole philosophy of learn to learn and that is also you trying to be the best of yourself um now that I'm uh, over the side of 40 um actually I'm very yes I'm over the side of 40 let's just say that I think <laughs> I think the older you get there is definitely a sense for me that um I don't have to hold all the vulnerability in anymore and that is you know what happens if I fail. What happens if, um, you know, people don't really understand what I'm trying to do? And, you know, I get a lot of criticism. And, yes, because of the part of me really um, wanting to make sure that people that I'm trying to work with don't get criticised. But let's be honest. It's also I don't want to be criticised. We have to be really honest in life. And so knowing that the amount that I now pull on my family and friends more than my work colleagues has been is phenomenal. I think what that does then mean unfortunately for them is they're part of this crazy ride as well. It kind of there's you can't open a school like this unless you have everyone along the journey with you. And that has made me really just love the stage in my life I'm in and um try to be the best version of myself. But maybe saying the best version of yourself is just something that we shouldn't have an expectation to live up to. It's like, where is that glass ceiling? And why do i have to have this expectation that that is what i need to be just be good and kind every day and keep moving forward
0: okay so my final question before i hand back to my design teacher colleague and again i'm I'm going to preface this by talking a little bit about the methodology of why we ask questions the way that, that we do it um the game Changers podcast and the school for tomorrow is sort of built on the legacy of a research institute that we set up back in 2010, and we decided from the outset that we were going to take a sociological approach to asking questions rather than a scientific approach. So what we weren't, we weren't trying to prove or disprove things, we were trying to validate the way that people connect with their world and help build models around this. So we went to the work of the great Australian social theorist and thinker Hugh McKay and said, and he says, ask a big question, shut up and listen to the answer, which is what we try to do key to that is the notion of first thoughts are best thoughts they're not polished thoughts but they're best thoughts and if we allow people too much time to refine and edit they're going to end up in a safe space it's a nice safe space but we never change the world with a safe thought every thought that's changed the world is a dangerous thought because it involves taking a risk doesn't it and that risk could mean it could cost you something it could take something away from you, or it could give something to you. Tell me about the risk involved for you in setting up forty two, <laughs> and why you did it, and and how you manage that sense of risk in your life.
2: Gosh, if I knew that answer, I think coming though back to, I'm very lucky. I do say a lot of what I think most of the time without editing it. I think what that then means, I've got then the courage to just keep on learning. The risk that I've had to take um, to Open 42 has probably been some of the largest in my life, you know, includes personally and financially. It went through the hardest times of COVID. So we had not only a pandemic that we all personally had to go through significant toughness, but then also the pursuit of I'm not, we are going to Open 42. You know, um, I also work extremely... There's no such thing as just me opening 42. There's a massive team around us. And there's one other really critical person, um, Melanie Sterling, who really just saw what I was trying to do and about 18 months ago left her very secure high corporate job to come in on this journey. So then you're also burdened with this cannot fail. I've got more expect, you know, there's more than just me um, involved in this now. But we've had to sacrifice a lot. Sacrifice a lot financially, you know. Um, but we always, I think, the reward. We always looking at the horizon, and the reward is going to be so much, uh, so worth it. Doesn't matter what the risk is. And look, just coming back to one of those philosophical risk for some people, if it's you know, risking money, risking your personal health, risking that all just comes back to what's important to you in life. And if you hold purpose as the most important, it's amazing what you're prepared to let go of, um, that potentially is a bit of a safety blanket.
1: It is really interesting sitting here listening to you share not only the journey of 42, but your own journey in realising a learning community that on the surface appears to tap into the swift advancements of technology and reshaping society. But I think that's the ruse, because The reality that I'm getting, that's becoming clearer, I should say, in my mind, is that 42 is not only about the intersection of a future-focused learning paradigm, but it's about self-efficacy. It's about emotional competency. It's about adaptability and equipping everyone in that learning community, not only the students, but also those who are supporting them in a different horizon altogether. And it's a horizon about our possibility not only for self, but place and for the other. Do you feel that when young people have the courage to walk in the door at 42 and say, I'm now ready for a new challenge, that they anticipated that it was going to be more than learning the skill of coding?
2: I want to say, some. I think my first thought was, "Oh, maybe not day one, but then actually what we do to prepare them to actually get to day one they just fall in love with why we were bringing 42 here. So once people come to the information sessions and hear about 42, we have over 90% then accept a role into. So that is extremely high. And that's because we just share what 42 is and what it embodies and that you are going to have the most challenging time in your life. But at the same time and equally, it is going to be the most rewarding. So we set them up to say, this is not going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy because it's going to push you emotionally And all that stuff that you've had buried in your own fears and your own little demons of yourself and how you can contribute with other peers around you, that is going to push you so much quicker than you ever thought. So um, I do, I feel that when they, they come in and they see 42 and they are, those first couple of days are really overwhelming for them. So even though we've prepared them all, still doing it, doing the act is the hardest, but, you know, Once we move from the first four-week per into the second one, the amount of students that volunteered their time to then be mentors for the second group of the second per which is another boot camp, was 30 of them. And there was more wanting to sign up every day. We just didn't have enough things for them to do. So I think that that's the epitome of showing that I'm growing and learning and I don't want to have a break before the school opens. I want to keep learning about myself. I want to keep, you know, supporting others to learn about themselves. Because don't forget, they can't give the answer. So they're, so. this isn't about them providing an answer around coding. No, this is about supporting them to learn everything else around themselves. The quicker they can tune in and tap into that, the learning is going to happen a lot faster.
1: So much about entrepreneurial education is about the kind of non-cognitive competencies, mm. attitudes or dispositions, things like an entrepreneurial passion, where where we would ask a question to ourselves, I want. It might be around self-efficacy, which is the question of I can. It might be around entrepreneurial identity, which is about I value or who I am. It might be about proactiveness, which is I do. It might be around uncertainty or ambiguity or tolerance, which is kind of I dare, you know. Um, It might be around inventiveness, which is I create. But one of the most important elements of this kind of non cognitive competencies, perseverance, where I overcome. Can you tell us about a time in your journey where you needed to overcome some of the more difficult challenges to be able to realize your passions and aspirations for the young people in your care?
2: I think if um, you don't have long enough, that's my first um, response to that, because to actually have 42 and open this school a multi-million dollar school from someone that dropped out of school themselves, it surpasses every expectation I actually had of myself and the team that brought it here. 42 schools are usually opened up in every other country by millionaires. Well, guess what? I'm not a millionaire and I don't have any friends that are millionaires. So I think what you're asking is something that all we can demonstrate to actually know that we got 42 here from a social innovation organisation. That um, is something that is the best infrastructure. You know, it's a multi million dollar school yearly and it's absolutely 100% free, and we're not backed by big private investors. We've had to overcome many more things than probably this episode would have time for. But also in a pandemic, in the most crippling time of our global society, and we still were able to open um, the school, means that we were able to do things that we did not think we were going to be able to achieve
1: now louise louise you could be a politician with your response just then, because you're (laughs) shirking you're shirking my question a little bit my question wasn't necessarily around your collective team's ability to overcome i'm asking what louise had to overcome
2: oh what did i have to overcome well i sold my house i lived in a caravan for, you know, six months, if you really want to get personal in terms of what we had to overcome, because I had to make decisions yeah. about I could go back and get a really well paying job, or I stay on this plight to open the best school in in the globe that I felt was going to really change the face of education and systems change. Um, so personally, what I've had to overcome was just probably allowing my family to believe in me and allowing us to take massive, massive personal risks. And it's been
1: an amazing dividend to to date, hasn't it? I mean, the return has been exceptional, not only for for you, in which you are clearly demonstrating to us today, but for every person that has stepped through the doors there at 42 uh, Australia, about them understanding that life can be pretty shit house at times, and it can be really, really challenging. But so much can be gained through those moments of struggle. But the key component that I'm taking away so far from this conversation is we all need a champion, though, in our corner. And you've provided a space that's a champion for many individuals that walk through that door. And that's that's a pretty powerful construct. I'm going to hand it over to Phil. Oh,
0: look, I don't know if I really want to ask a question <laughs> after that. Again, I'm just enjoying the conversation between you two. Um, Louise, you say it's uh, um, altruism. You know, forty-two is altruism brought into reality. I'm starting to understand a little bit uh, in and around that, uh, without wanting to you know, blow our own trumpets too. I think I think Adriana and I understand a little bit about risk taking, and we under we certainly understand what it's like, um, you know, to put to have skin in the game, as the people in the world of commerce would call it, and to take a financial hit because you believe in in what you do. Uh, I I think I last worked in a school in, as I said, 2010 when we set up the institute and I've never been paid in 12 years as much as I earned when I lived in the school. But actually the answer is I've never paid myself as much as I earned in and around that. And you go through different ages and stages. To be the social entrepreneur with a capital S, capital E, it's like being prominent educational thought leader, which is P-E-T-L, which is De Prado. To be the social entrepreneur, you've got to be prepared to put a big risk on the line. And I think people are born with that risk appetite. Actually, I don't, but I think it's really, really hard to do that. And, and there's a lot. there'll be a lot of listeners out there who will look at and, and go, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't leave my job and set something up on the hope of a vision about what it is around that. And they have to modify it. And we can't expect people to to do that sort of thing. How can we help people who don't have that risk appetite to take the smaller risks in their lives that for them are actually really, really big risks around, well, what if I change just this one little thing? What are the conditions we can create around people to help them to be more adventurous, to be more experimental, to take risks within the confines of an institution? And institutions, oh, they don't like risks. They don't like unpredictability. They don't like, you know, variance from the norm.
2: I love this. I think I started that way. And it all just starts by going, um, talking about, you've got to get out what's in your head because you don't know how much of a risk it really is until you start talking about it. And, um, you, and you'll and you find people that just don't want to, um, they'll just keep trying to say, oh, no, that's too much of a risk. Oh, great idea, but I, I wouldn't be doing that. But you talk about enough, you're going to find a collective of people that actually do think that what you're doing is really great. Um, And then just start a little bit by a little bit. You just, no one goes and jumps at the big um, crescendo. Like I'm now over 40. That's taken many years to get up to the stage of the risk that I'm prepared to take. But um, it's all started with baby steps. Um, So I think the best thing for you to do is you must talk about it. Don't hold it within. My, My experience in my life is the more I talked about it, I found other just as crazy folk as myself, that was happy to to just take a little bit of that risk that um, you need to take to just change your life and move from being comfortable to shifting a little bit out of that sphere and being a bit more aligned with purpose and justice.
0: Purpose and justice, two fabulous words to throw at uh, me and Adriano. I think I represent the purpose side. I think he represents the justice side coming from the different you know, epistemological and ontological traditions that we, we we sort of come from. I'm really interested. Can you give us a specific example of something that you really didn't expect to learn on your journey?
2: What didn't I expect to learn on my journey?
0: Can be a big big thing Actually, or a small thing.
2: How much of a personal risk I was willing to take? Okay. I, I learned that along the way. I actually thought that I would be able to solve multiple of the challenges and actually um, whether that was still be able to pay myself a little bit or something like that. But no, I, I, I was prepared to go broke and I was not, that was a big learn. I did not think I was prepared to take that risk. But when you find something that you know, if it wasn't going, if it's not going to be in my lifetime, it'll be in someone else's lifetime, I want to start that journey at least.
1: So that's really interesting uh, to share that discovery along the journey. Uh, I suppose we all have thresholds, right, in in our lives and what we are prepared, what we can tolerate and what we can't tolerate. Uh, what I'm hearing you, though, say is uh, be open to continually pushing those thresholds uh, because you will never really truly understand or discover your possi- true possibility or your true north uh, in, in that process. I also love that you mentioned this, this kind of... Um, purpose and justice, you know, one is about a passion that burns inside, but we do it in a way that's ethical and that respects the dignity of the other and ourselves. I think there's something really powerful in that piece. How then do we help young people in our learning communities, in our schools, develop not only their purpose, but this deeper sense of belonging and becoming?
2: I think the sense of belonging and becoming is more important than purpose initially. You need to really feel that you have value and you can contribute because without that, without that base, you you can't reach to the next parts of fulfilment. So um, for a lot of young people that I've worked with across my life and I'm very fortunate to touch, it's just about them really needing to believe in themselves and have hope and confidence because once, that, once they feel more secure and being able to do that, they can move to having purpose in their life. Um, but sometimes us talking about purpose and you know it can also be intangible for others. What does that mean? I just want to go to school and learn and be safe amongst my peers and be contributing um, member. So I think sometimes we just overcomplicated ourselves and we have to come back to to the basics.
1: So so let's let's take it a step further. You know, let's say that the young people in your learning community uh, they've stepped into this space of, of being seen, being valued, being known. It's omnipresent at 42 Adelaide, right? And, and they have a, for the first time, they feel a, a value and a worth that they have never experienced prior to that. They now are in a space where that's their that's their paradigm. So their, their confidence is up here. Their intrinsic motivation to continue to grow and learn and unlearn is up here. How then do we help them to step into the space of the permission of claiming their purpose?
2: Do we do it directly or do we do it indirectly? I think they're, they're the other things that we do because for people to really want to claim their purpose, um, that is through learning. And you must continue wanting to learn and that concept of actually learning to learn. So I think what we need to do is provide people always space to share even if what they share, they might um, feel worried that it comes across wrong or, you know, I don't want it to be misinterpreted. When you are working for from a peer-to-peer perspective, so there isn't that natural teacher that is basically controlling many areas or confining that space and we're allowing people to very much um, control that narrative, we also have to pay respect that they're not always going to get it right. So we have to learn and and give them feedback and constant reassurance, I believe. The the more that they get reassurance and support that, you know, they're just growing in themselves. And, you know, you are meant to make mistakes and that's normal. And we're here just to keep you helping to navigate. They're going to be able to feel stronger every day. That leads to them having more direction and clarity in your life. Because um, that's sometimes a really hard thing to do. So I think it's really important that we just work with the person at where they're at um, and just keep keeping helping them grow every day moving forward.
0: Louise, thank you for that. Uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times now being on the other side of 40, which we won't probe too much into. Um, uh, as somebody who's on the other side of 50, I think one of the things that I, I would observe about my own life um, since I was probably 15, I think, very, very clearly, I, I, I worked out that I felt best about myself when I was helping other people. Um, uh, and that's what I've tried to do in my life. Uh, sometimes with more success and sometimes with less success, you'd need to talk to the people around me and the students I've had to work out whether I'm any good at doing it or whether or not they think I'm sincere about that. But I think I've tried to do that. As now I'm on the other side of 50, I'm much more conscious about what my legacy will be rather than the wins in the moment. You know, um, uh, what legacy do you want to leave behind you?
2: I think that's uh, what legacy I want to leave behind is that I just tried and I gave a shit, right, that I really, I'm sorry to the listeners, but I just care. And the legacy is, is that don't just, just keep asking why. I was the kid in class, not only did I always get the school report going, you know, if she just didn't talk so much, she could probably actually do something. But the things, the reasons they always queried is because I asked why, every, why? Why do we have to do it like that? Why? So what I would love to just leave and leave my kids and their kids is don't accept the norm. You know, really try and stay true to yourself and really just keep questioning why and push through for the pursuit of just a more equal society that everyone has the opportunity to be great That's really all I want to do, Um, whether that is through Forty Two or other endeavors in the future. I think that's why I was prepared to go broke, because even if I didn't get the school open and someone else did it, I just had some small part in just trying to show that there is other ways that we can do things in life.
0: I have a feeling, Louise, that being willing to play some small part allows you to play a very, very big part. You know, earlier today, Adriano and I were working on a project for some. uh, for, for a whole system of schools around social entrepreneurship. And we're trying to we sort of got to the point where we need a document and we're working our way through that. And we realised we haven't actually defined what we mean by a social entrepreneur. Well, this is what we've come up with. said Good social, on, Well, we just said social entrepreneurs establish enterprises that purposefully engage with their communities mm. to solve complex social, cultural, and environmental problems by adding value to the lives of all while contributing to a more just and loving world. I can't think of a better way for us to attempt to sum you up other than use your words which i don't reckon your words have been just brilliant thank you so much for sharing with us today thank you for contributing to our learning about a life of purpose thank you for demonstrating that the aspirations the pathways to success the the sense of kinship that you feel with those around you that's what really, really matters. That's the secret sauce along the way. And, um, you know, we wish you and everything that you're doing at 42 Australia absolute success because we need more models. We need more models of being a game changer, being that brave pioneer who's not afraid to take the big step forward and up. Thank you, Louise.
1: You know, Phil, it's, it's a rare find to encounter courageous leaders in education who can see a future that most can't. And it's one that is deeply human-centered, one that is tech-enriched, one that is people-planet conscious and intentionally purposeful. And as you've just described, Phil, today our listeners have encountered a brave pioneer who is courageous enough to challenge the binary thinking of what school is and create a learning community that goes beyond a knowledge bucket. That's inherently about Transforming and helping the full flourishing of the individual. Louise, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you very much. And we can't wait, once we get out of lockdown, um, to come and visit you at 42 Adelaide uh, because we have many clients in South Australia who are desperate to go and see. And you're going to have to put uh, coffee and coding together when we arrive.
2: I can do that for you. Thank you so much. And um, I think one thing I would like to say you've made me think a lot in a space of half an hour. So um, I really.